This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, I'm Dr. Margaret, and you're listening to Self Work. Thanks so much for being with me today. We're going to be talking about trying to love someone with depression. It's a really tough job because people who are depressed aren't giving back. They're often very focused on themselves because that's part of the disease process, an almost implosion of the self. The more severe the depression, the less connected and engaged that person is with their world. And you're trying to love them. So I've got some tips today about how to help you do that. First, we're going to talk about the different kinds of depression, and we'll go through these very quickly, actually. Then we'll get to these tips or recognitions that I think are helpful to make. Third, I'm going to talk about a specific case I had where a woman I'll call Patricia brought her husband in to therapy so that he could better understand her recurrent depression, a depression that keeps coming back and coming back maybe every two or three or four years, but it raises its head again. I gave him a specific metaphor to think about, and he told me it was greatly helpful. And actually, Patricia is the first one who ever told me that I should write a book. <laughs> it was so helpful to them, which made me feel good, of course. And then the last thing we'll do, every episode at the end, I read an email or some kind of message from a reader slash listener. Today's email is going to be about the diagnosis of bipolar illness and what you can do to help yourself with that, as well as a question about if you're in therapy and you haven't been completely honest with your therapist, how do you backtrack or how do you explain that to a therapist? I've got some answers about those things. First, let's quickly go through the different kinds of depression there are. There's moderate depression, which professionals call dysthymia. Now, this isn't just the blues. This isn't a bad mood that lasts for two or three days. You have to actually have symptoms of depression for a fairly long period of time. Those symptoms being, of course, depressed mood, low self-esteem, not enjoying anything you're doing, which is called anhedonia. Generally speaking, more moderate depression does not include the more severe signs of depression. There is major depression, which generally will include more of the what's termed neurovegetative signs of depression. And all that means is you're having trouble with sleeping, you're having trouble with eating, you're eating too much, eating too little, your thinking is cloudy, you're indecisive, you have hopelessness, helplessness, and perhaps even suicidal ideation or thoughts of a welcome death. Then there's recurrent depression, which again, those symptoms can come back on a biannual basis or... Every three or four years, maybe you suffer with it more than that. Leading into that is also bipolar illness. And there are two major kinds of bipolar, which again is a podcast episode in and of itself. But typically there are stages of more agitation and energy coupled with lower times, times of great sadness or darkness. There is seasonal affective disorder, which tends to come on in the winter months. But I've actually had some patients who feel they have it in the summer as well. There's just not a good fit between you and the seasons, and you tend to get depressed. There's postpartum depression, which of course follows the birth of a baby, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. 
I've actually read some articles that men can have postpartum depression. So their world is certainly changing. And sometimes people don't handle it very well. Perhaps it's a good point here to make that depression can be triggered by an actual event, but it also can occur completely on its own. Generally, depression can run in families too, so there's a significant genetic predisposition. I also want to bring up the fact that depression doesn't always look like sadness. It can look like anger, agitation, irritability. It can be masked by alcohol use or pot use. And the last thing I want to bring up is that there are things called personality disorders. And what a personality disorder is trying to describe someone whose relationships aren't healthy. There's manipulation. They're thinking about other people in their lives is skewed. There's several different kinds of personality disorders, which (laughs) it's the second time I've said that's a podcast episode (laughs) in and of itself. But if you're trying to love someone with a personality disorder where depression is part of it, then that can be even more complex and complicated. In fact, in the next episode of Self Work, I'm going to be talking about borderline mothers, very unstable, manipulative moms. Men can be borderline, but there are more female borderlines. So if you're interested in that topic, tune into the next episode. When I was researching for this particular podcast episode, I found an article by Hope Racine on the Huffington Post. I really liked it. She's a millennial who's talking about trying to love someone with depression, and her language is just very simple and straightforward. So I'm using a little bit of hers. I have my own things to say about her categories, but I thought they were interesting. So thanks to Hope Racine. The first tip she has, or the recognition, as I call it, of what I think is important to remember is your loved one isn't just sad. Depression is more than sadness. They may look sad. They may not be smiling. They may look worried. But it's more than sadness. I gave you some of the symptoms beforehand, but it's important to remember that because you can just kind of want them to snap out of it or think, you know, they don't have anything to be sad about. And that oversimplifies your thinking about depression. The second is, They're not depressed because of you, so don't take it personally. I think this is very straightforward and very important to remember to sort of to make sure that you keep the depression about them. One question I often ask my patients to to ask themselves about um, about a friend's behavior or perhaps someone they love is, what do I know about this person that would explain his or her behavior that has nothing to do with me? That really helps you not personalize. And if you realize, oh yeah, they're dealing with depression, this has a name, it's an illness, then you're likely not to make it about you. But one thing I've noticed is that often when there's abuse in someone's history, it's not until they get in a relationship that is actually very safe and secure that their feelings or their pain emerges from that abuse. If that's not an example of someone's pain not being about you, I don't know a better one. The third tip, again, that Hope very directly says is, you can't fix them. Boy, is this ever true. It's not your job to solve their depression. It's not your job to try to help them figure out what's making them so sad. It's definitely their job. And, of course, that's the sticky wicket of depression. I've never really known what sticky wicket meant, by the way, but I say it a lot. It's a difficult job for someone with depression to become engaged again but it's their job. I don't care how cute you are. I don't care how funny you are. I don't care what kind of dinner you make 
or what kind of vacation you take them on, it's their job to learn either how to manage their depression or how to emerge from it. All the love in the world, all the care in the world will not do that for them. I believe you can, of course, expect them and support them in getting the help they need. That's what they really want, or that's what they really need, just your support, maybe even your guidance, but really letting them know that whatever they need to do to get better, you're there. That can mean sometimes going jogging with them or making sure that you keep the kids while they read a book about depression or go to therapy. That's what you can do for them. The fourth thing that Hope says is any emotion is good. Um, I know what she's talking about here because often what happens in depression is something called flat affect. All that means is a person cannot connect with their emotions. Instead of being overwhelmed by sadness or anger, they actually don't feel anything at all. So for these people, when they begin to feel, then that's a really good thing. How many times have I had someone say to me, if I let myself be sad, I don't know if it will end. So often these emotions come in a torrent. And just being there and understanding that that's going to happen, it may seem a little overreactive, but it's part of the process of repressing all those emotions in the first place. But as they try to re-engage and reconnect with you, with others, with their job, as they try to heal from whatever perhaps caused them depression or just manage another episode, then there's going to be a lot of frustration about that. The fifth thing she says is, take care of yourself. You know, your partner is very likely not to be able to meet your needs during this time. Again, what I said before was depression is kind of an implosion of the self. So you counting on friends, family, other people in your life to let you know that you're important is vital for you. Michael Yapko wrote a book called The Hand-Me-Down Blues, where he cites research and his own understanding that when one person is depressed in the family, other people can get depressed if they allow themselves to do that. Think about when you go to a party and someone is sitting on a sofa all by themselves and they look very sad or mad or they're not talking to anybody. You know how that can kind of influence everyone at the party? Everyone's trying to get them to do something or come join a game. A lot of energy goes their way. Well, just think about that if it happens in a family. Everyone's spirits, everyone's way of thinking about the world can get kind of skewed in a negative direction. So you really have to take care of yourself. I've included the link to Dr. Yapko's book in the show notes. So if you're interested, he's a great writer on depression, well-known internationally, in fact. The sixth tip from Miss Racine is to be patient. Again, short, quick, to the point. Healing does take time in depression. When you think about it, they're trying to use their mind to fix their mind. It's like if someone said, oh, you broke your leg. Well, why don't you go run on it for a while and it'll be better. So as their mind either responds to medication, perhaps, that they've decided to take or heals very slowly by itself, the mind is mending. And in order to really mend, that takes time. One of the analogies I use with people frequently, especially with recurrent depression, is that it's, it's like you've mended your sail and then you go out on the lake or in the ocean and you keep on looking at that sail. Is it going to be okay? Is it going to get me through? That's how people with depression often feel, that they're not real sure that that sail will hold. 
then I'm going to add one more tip to what Miss Racine said. And this is mine. Don't treat them as if they're incapable of caring. I'm named after a wonderful lady who has passed away, and her name was Margaret, obviously. So she was my Aunt Margaret, and Aunt Margaret had terminal lung cancer. And I went to go see her one time, and she asked me to sit down by her. She said, would you talk to me about what's really going on in your life? And I said, of course. What, what do you mean? She said, everybody comes and visits me. They all know I'm dying. I'm not happy about it. I'm even kind of depressed about it. But they won't tell me what's going on because what could be worse than dying? So they talk about the weather, and they certainly don't want to talk about something good that's happening. It's as if they've forgotten who I am. I've remembered this all my life, and I don't think it helps someone with depression to be viewed as fragile or weak. Of course, you have to recognize that perhaps it's not the best time to share certain things with them, but there's a balance there. They need to feel needed as well and appreciated. So now let's go to Patricia and Dan. She was a patient of mine. She had recurrent depression. She'd done some really great work on her depression. But for all her work, there were four aspects of her depression. She did have some seasonal affective disorder. She also really struggled with being an empty nest mom. She did not work outside the home during her children's lives. And so she had to rebuild a sense of purpose. She also had always been overweight And she really had had to work on her self-worth. She actually ended getting bariatric surgery, which was very helpful for her. And last but not least, depression ran in her family. So for all the work she did, she sometimes hit a wall. It felt like just something invaded her and she'd become weary of doing anything and lose the desire to go visit her kids. She even had intrusive thoughts of hurting herself and she hated it. She hated feeling like she was losing control. But her husband didn't understand. He thought, well, you've already been depressed and you've gotten better, so why are you depressed now? So this is the metaphor I gave them. Imagine you're given a house to live in. The floors are covered with carpets from around the world. When you walk around in it, living your life, you enjoy it, you get to know its nooks and crannies. But there's a trick to this house. Every night, the powers that be dig a hole in the floor somewhere and then cover that hole up with one of those rugs. The next night, the hole could be in a different place. It's randomly moved. No one can tell, not even you who are living in the house, that anything is different. And it's your job to go on living normally. Now, imagine how you would feel. Your steps would be cautious. Your ability to enjoy and feel free would be very diminished. With enough time, you'd feel better. You could go for days without falling, maybe even weeks or months. So you go on living until the day you fall in a hole. That's how it feels for someone with recurrent depression. They have to live their life knowing they might not see the depression, the fall that's about to happen. You learn you can get out of the hole, but you can't always know what's waiting for you. It's your house. It's what you've been given. There are beautiful things about it, but there are pitfalls and struggles that aren't always under your control. After I said this to him, Dan looked at me and smiled with a little bit of recognition in his eyes, and he looked at Patricia and he said, okay, I get it. I get it. So I hope that metaphor is helpful to you as well. 
especially with bipolar illness, with seasonal affective disorder, with recurrent depression, or with depression that's highly genetically predisposed. With all your effort, you may still get depressed from time to time. And if you're trying to love someone with that depression, it's not their lack of trying that's causing it. It's just they fell in the hole again. So to recap a little bit, if you love someone who experiences depression, you can help most by understanding. Educate yourself, read books, whatever you need to do to try to understand what they're experiencing in their inner world. You can help by listening when all their efforts haven't worked and they have to struggle with one more sense of fog, one more episode of despair. By trying not to judge, giving them the message that you know they're trying, by asking how you could help. Some people say, well, I don't know how to help. And I say, well, have you asked what would feel good to them? No. (laughs) Well, just ask them. You can help by supporting them to receive the treatment they need. Now, this brings up the point about what if you're trying to love someone who's depressed, who's not doing anything about it? This can be really tough. And it's a situation often where, again, as I said in in quoting Dr. Yapko, it can be a hand-me-down situation where everybody's world becomes more negative, more quiet. A whole family may become more isolated because of one person's depression. What I advise people to do in this situation is fairly simple. Don't talk about them. Talk about yourself. And what I mean by this is to say, it really makes me sad or I worry a lot about what I see you doing or what I see you not doing. Or I feel very helpless when I see you obviously very down, but all you do is go out to your shop and have some beers or all you do is get high or what you're doing is getting mad at people all the time who don't seem to have really hurt you. So I'm sad and I feel very helpless. You talk about yourself. Because if you try to tell them what to do or that they're depressed or there's something wrong, these people who struggle to admit it will only fight you and get defensive. So good luck with loving someone who's depressed. And maybe they should listen to this podcast as well so they know what your role is like. I hope that helps. Now we're going to move on to the email I received fairly recently. And I'll read it to you. My doctor has told me I have bipolar depression, but hasn't specified what kind. And I was wondering if you would know a way that I can monitor my cycles and learn more about how they come and go. Also, sometimes I feel weird about talking to my therapist because when we first met, I left out a lot about my life because I was uncomfortable. But now that I'm more comfortable, I want to talk about the stuff I've bottled up but I'm not sure how to bring it up without sounding completely different than what she's used to hearing from me. Here's my answer. It's perfectly normal for you to need some time to trust your therapist. For example, I've had people not talk to me about being sexually abused for several months after treatment. Now, I'm a very solution-oriented therapist, so frequently if I feel like there's something they're not telling me, I might say, You know, we seem to be talking about the same thing over and over, but so is there something else? There's another reason you're coming to therapy? I might sense that, but I might not. Okay, back to my answer. So it's perfectly normal for you to need some time to trust your therapist. There's an analogy, the peeling of the onion, I think. A lot of people say therapy is about peeling an onion. 
I would simply tell him or her what has occurred, and your therapist will likely be glad to know that you're more comfortable. If you had that problem with them, you likely do that with other people in your life, and that will be good information for them. Whether that's a problem with trust or whether that's just you're not accustomed to talking about yourself much. Okay, going on. As far as monitoring your cycles, there are mood apps for that. One I found is the Optimism app I found on iTunes. You can use them on your phone and you get reminders to evaluate your mood several times during the day. I just look up mood app and see what you can find. The ones I've seen also have a comment section where you can write what's been going on to help you identify triggers. Then I went on to tell her that I was very impressed with her taking such a proactive stance with her bipolar illness. That's a difficult diagnosis to receive. And the fact that she is going forward and trying to say, okay, I need to understand this. I need to figure out what my triggers are. That's huge in bipolar illness. So I hope that's helpful to you as well. I want to thank you so much for listening to what is now my 10th podcast. I'm really enjoying the experience. And I so appreciate those of you that have subscribed. Please take the time to subscribe or give me a rating or review. That really helps me a lot and means so much. There are plenty of ways of getting in touch with me or reading more of my work. I have a website where I post weekly. It's called, originally, drmargaretrutherford.com. <laughs> my email, which you can see that I answer, and it is confidential, by the way, is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. If you'd like for me to talk about a certain subject, please email me and let me know. On my website, by the way, I've started a new Facebook Live series that I do right now at 11 o'clock on Wednesday mornings, so I would love for you to join in. My telephone number in Arkansas is 479-443-3413. So thanks again for listening. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.